Matthew 21 is where we'll start, but it's not where we'll stay. So in Matthew 21, my name is Ryan. I'm the youth and college pastor. Welcome to PVN. Hey, Matthew. Welcome to PVN students. Um, and, I, and we've been in a series. We're actually finishing it up tonight. We've been in a series for several weeks. I know we've had fall break and fields of faith and some other things, but we're doing a series on parables, okay? Um, and before we jump in, let's talk about parables for just a second, okay? And again, we'll be in Matthew 21. It should be on the board here in just a little bit. Um, and then we'll get into Mark 4 as well, and that's where we'll really spend our time. So let's talk about parables, okay? A little, little Sunday school one-on-one so you guys get some help. Um, a parable, a story that Jesus told, parables are usually defined as uh, a couple ways, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? Or a story Jesus would tell to explain something in simple terms for everybody to understand, okay? A story Jesus would tell to explain something in simple terms so that everyone could understand. And while there's definitely a heavenly meaning in these stories, while Jesus is definitely explaining things in these stories, this isn't the full definition of what I would call a parable. You might call a parable in a way, okay, so just hang with me. You might call a parable in a way an inside joke because a parable reveals who's in and who's out. A parable reveals who gets it and who doesn't. And the people kind of reveal themselves. They show themselves as the ones who get it and the ones who don't. How well you understand a parable, let's talk about whether or not you get what it's saying. How well you understand a parable directly relates to how far you're willing to obey it. So whether or not you get a parable is not directly tied just to do you mentally understand what he's teaching. How well you understand a parable relates directly to how far you are willing to obey it. In, it's what people do after they hear the parable that reveals who gets it and who doesn't. Okay, when they, After they hear the parable, what they do, that's what reveals who gets it and who doesn't. So the point of a parable was not just so you could understand it. Well, I get the parable. I understand it. That's not all of it. The point of the parable was to immediately begin applying it. Okay, The goal is not just to understand it, but to act on what it says. That's what shows if you really understand it. If you say, I understand what he's saying, and then you don't do it, you didn't really understand what's been taught. If two people each get a letter in their mailbox that says, rent payment is late, due tomorrow, and both read it, both understand it, but only one person actually pays the bill and the other person doesn't, that reveals who really got it and who didn't. You see what I mean? They both read it and they both understood it, but only one of them actually got it. That's the point of a parable. Not just to understand it, but to get it. That's what really reveals who got it and who didn't. The one who gets Jesus' parables is the person who not only understands the message but appreciates what he's saying. Jesus' parables are meant to elicit an appreciation for his words, a care for them that results in acting on them instead of just nodding your head in agreement with them. 
just as a true coin requires two sides, a parable requires agreement and action. If you apply it, that's how you know you got it. If you're in Matthew 21, Matthew 21, we're looking at verses 45 and 46. Let me give a little preface here. In Matthew 21, here's an example of they got it, but they didn't get it, okay? So do you get it or do you get it, right? Super clear, I know. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells a parable about a landowner who sends his son to talk to these selfish workers. That's the parable. This man sends his son, oh, wait a minute. This man sends his son to these selfish workers and they kill his son. Jesus is God's son, right? And he's talking to the Pharisees mm, about these selfish workers who kill this man's son, okay? All right, look at what they say in Matthew 21, 45 and 46. Matthew 21, 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Stop right there. They understood. It's even better. They knew he was speaking about them. So they get it, right? They get the point of the story. They get it. Look at their reaction in 46. But then they looked for a way to seize him. Yet they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that Jesus was a prophet. So they knew the, the, the parables about them. It says right there, they knew he was talking about them. They get it. They understand it. They get that they're the ones who are going to kill Jesus. And instead of applying this parable to their life, instead of listening to Jesus' warning, they try to do what? They try to kill him. They try to seize him. They do exactly what the parable warned not to do. So they understood it, but in their hearts they hated its meaning. So they didn't apply it. So ultimately they got it, but ultimately they didn't get it, you see. This is what parables do. Turn in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 4. So Matthew and then Mark is the next book. Leaders kind of look around and be sure everybody knows where they're going. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 3, and we're going to go through like pretty far. I think verse 20. It's going to be awesome. Mark 3. So, so this is what parables do. You measure how much you get it by how your heart responds to it. Does that make sense? You measure how much you get it by how your heart responds to it. And that's exactly what tonight's parable is about. Tonight's parable is about getting it, is about your heart responding to it. So we're in Mark chapter 4. It's probably good if I turn there too. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus starts, listen to this. Great. All right, parable, we'll stop right there. So Jesus says, Listen to this. In some versions, in King James, right, in that KJV, it may say hearken, right? In some versions, it may say now listen. And Jesus said, in my version, it's in italics. Is it up there? No. Got a little exclamation point. Listen to this. The Greek here, this is the word. All right, Old Testament Hebrew, written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. That one's for free. The Greek word here is aku. It's where we get the word for acoustic, okay? This word means listen, Okay? Mark's gospel is the only one where Jesus starts the story with this word. And he's pretty emphatic. I mean, you can see it. It's even got the little exclamation point. Listen to what I'm about to say. And listening, this isn't an accident that he does this, because listening is a big part of the parable before the story even starts. 
verse 3, this is all in chapter 4, verse 3, verse 9, verse 16, verse 14, verse 20, verse 23, and verse 24, all have the theme of listening or hearing all throughout the chapter. The big theme here is listening or understanding. Jesus is not just getting their attention. He's not just saying, hey, listen. He's not just doing that. He is doing that, but he's already starting to teach the theme of what he's talking about by saying, listen. Listening and how you listen is so important. So let's get into the story and you'll see or hear, ah, see what I did, how it applies. Verse 3. Here we go. Mark 4, verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, the sower is planting, mine says he went out to sow, to plant seeds. All right, some of your versions may say a farmer. That's still the right idea. The word here literally means one who spreads the seed on the soil that is ready for harvest. One who is spreading the seeds on the soil ready for harvest. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Four different kinds of soil, and we're going to learn four different kinds of people. Four different kinds of soil, all right? So he, it says, as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. The seed lands in the road. Uh, to get to seminary, I have to drive on I-75 South. For those of you who are younger, it's this big road that everyone hates, okay? That's I-75, all right? Thank you, Gabe. So we were driving down, we're driving down I-75, right? And there's, it's, there's always traffic, right? There's, all right, high schoolers, if you want to know how far along in your walk with the Lord you are, sit in traffic. That's how you'll be able to tell, like, how you're doing, okay? So here's the deal. But, and it's always traffic, and it's always because of either a wreck or because of construction. It's never been because there's a tree growing in the middle of I-75, right? It just hasn't been yet, right? It hasn't been because of that. Because, and here's why, here's why. Here's why it's never been because of a tree. Because roads today, and also in Jesus' day, were not prepared for planting. The road, the, the soil on that, remember, it's obviously a dirt road, but the road isn't, doesn't have soil that's designed for a garden. This soil is traveled on. It needs to be flat and hard so that nothing can get in. So the soil is in no way prepared for the seeds. And the seed just sits there on top and is easy for the birds to see and take away. Soil number one. And we're going to come back and apply these, but just so you're clear. Soil number one. Soil number two. Look at verse five. Verse five. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth in the soil and after the sun had risen it was scorched and it had because it had no root it withered away and died now he spreads the soil so first of all he's he's just spreading the seed and some of the seed lands on the road this next one it lands on rocky soil this is not just a pile of rocks don't picture that no farmer is going to look at a pile of rocks and be like this looks like a good spot here you know it's not going to happen it's soil that on the surface looks good. Because it says there wasn't much soil. So it's soil that on the surface looks good. I hope you can already kind of see the, where I'm going with this one. It's soil that on the surface looks good, but just beneath the surface, just beneath the surface, instead of there being nutrients and more ready soil, there's only hard rocks. In other words, it's soil that is impossible for lasting growth impossible for deep roots to grow over time 
But at first, it looks good, immediately growing, using the topsoil. And then you see verse 6, as soon as the sun had peaked over the mountains, um, after the sun had risen. My version says, as soon as the sun had risen, right? So this isn't the sun. Now think about it. As soon as the sun had risen, it's not blazing and burning during the hottest part of the day, withering up the plant. It doesn't say that. The sun has risen. It's just shown the first few rays over the mountains, the first little bits of heat. And because of the shallow soil, the plant immediately withers and dies. Soil number three, verse seven. Soil number three. And when I get there, we'll read it. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. So this soil is planted amongst thorns and thistles and weeds. So this soil has not been properly cleansed and cleared of thorns and weeds which cut off the seed from the air and the sunlight that it has to have in order to grow. The seed might grow a little bit, but the pressure from the surrounding plants cuts it off and so it cannot thrive and bear fruit. And then we get to this last soil, the good soil. Verse 8, Other seeds fell into the good soil, And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, 100 fold. This is good soil. What does that mean, good soil? Well, look at the bad stuff. The good soil is not like hard road soil, but it's soft and is in the field and is ready for seeds. Soil that is is not just on the top visible level good, but actually goes deep underneath as well. And lastly, it's soil that has been properly cleansed of anything that would hurt its chances of bearing fruit. And it bears fruit 30, 60, 100 times over. The point is not so much the numbers, I don't think. The point is that all good soil results in health and growth. Some bore more fruit than others, but they're all, in this last section, 30, 60, 100, whatever, it's all good because the soil is healthy. All right, now let's get into verses 9 through 12, and then we'll apply it a little bit. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. And Jesus was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's two kinds of hearing. There's physical hearing, and then there's a level deeper with spiritual hearing. In order to benefit from this parable, you have to have ears to hear it. This is what this means. You have to have the right motive when you're listening to this, or when you're reading it. You have to have a willingness to act on what it's saying. You have to have the correct posture towards the Word while you read it or listen to it. The correct posture, ready to hear and learn. Or else you won't get it. Or you will get it, but it'll just make you angry and you won't accept it. Having the right ears to hear what's being said. And then we get to 10 through 12. 10 through 12. As soon as Jesus was alone, now now this is interesting. As soon as Jesus was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parable. And Jesus was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, they get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may not perceive, while hearing, they may not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now, Verses 10 through 20, right? Verses 10 through 20 is one of the only times in Scripture where Jesus stops and breaks down the whole parable. It's certainly the longest parable breakdown we have. Why? Why this parable? 
Why does he choose this parable? Why does Mark show us this parable where Jesus spends more time explaining it than even telling it? Why doesn't he do that for the prodigal son? Why doesn't he do that for the parables on prayer? Why does Je- Here it is. Here's the answer in the question. Why does Jesus take the time to explain the meaning of this one? Why does Jesus take the time to make sure they get it with this one? Because the prodigal son is a story about grace to the tax collectors and the sinners, the younger brother, and grace to the Pharisees, the older brother. The parables on prayer are about how to pray. That's their goal. That's what those parables are about. Listen, this parable is about getting it. Why take so much time here to help them understand? Because this parable is about understanding. That's why Mark spends more time explaining the parable than than he even did telling about Jesus telling the parable. Because the whole point is getting it. That's why he spends so much time showing how Jesus wanted the disciples to get it. It's about what it really means to understand. That's why Mark put it here. Listen, that's why Jesus talks about listening and hearing and understanding in seven different verses throughout the whole chapter. Listening, hearing, understanding. That's why Jesus doesn't just start the story in verse 3, but he tells them specifically to listen because that's the theme of the whole thing. Are we really listening? Do we have ears to hear? Do we understand the meaning of the story so much that we act on it? Verse 12 again. Look at verse 12 again. So that while seeing they may not see and so while the, yeah, so while seeing they may not see and perceive and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. So they see it but they don't appreciate what they see. They hear but they don't understand what they hear. In my Bible, verse 12 is in all caps, okay? Uh, It might be like that in some of your Bibles. It might have like maybe a little reference, like an A or a 1 or something like that. When that happens, it's because Jesus or whomever is quoting from the Old Testament. That's how you know, okay? Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 here. During Isaiah, this was a time, tell me if this sounds familiar, This was a time when Israel had the prophets of God and they heard the prophets, but they never obeyed them. The message never sunk into the soil of their hearts. These guys in Jesus' day heard the stories and saw the miracles, but some of them hated Jesus' stories, like the Pharisees. Some of them just didn't get it. And some of them, it changed their lives. What is the difference? The word is the same. The seed is the same. How do we know if we have ears to hear? How do we know if we get it? The answer is the soil of our hearts. Look at verse 13. The soil of our hearts. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand any of the parables? And here's what he's talking about here. Again, this parable, see the irony here. This parable is about getting it. If you don't get the parable that's about getting it, if you don't understand the parable that's about understanding the parables, it's hopeless. That's his point. That's what he's driving home. If you don't get this one, how will you understand any of them? Because this parable is about properly understanding the parables. Look at verse 14. Now let's apply all these different soils. The sower sows the word, right? So the, sower, so the seed is the word of God. Whether it's preached, whether it's read, whether it's sung, whether it's 
taught, whether it's modeled by parents and teachers and older siblings, etc., however you want to spread it, however you've been called to spread the Word of God, that's what the seed is. Now we get into 15. 15. These are the ones who are beside the road. So the first soil, the road. Where the Word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the Word which has been sown for them. This was huge while I was studying for it because you always just blame the birds, right? But look at what it says. The people signified by the soil of their hearts. Remember, there's something wrong with the soil. The seed didn't soak in, which is why the birds came and got it. The people signified by the soil of their hearts being the road. These are, listen, these are people not desperate to hear God's word who really want to learn about it. These are those of us who would not be here if our parents didn't make us go. Or who like being here just because of the social aspect, which is fine, but once the preaching starts, the eyes get droopy, um, your mind starts to wander away, you're not ready to receive anything that's being sung or said. The commentaries that, that I was reading about this said, these are the people who hear the word of God casually. Who hear it casually. Good stuff. He's a little weird, but he's funny. Hey, who's playing in the game tonight? You see how they just kind of move on from it. There's no depth. It hasn't gotten in anywhere. The soil, the road soil of their heart, of their heart is hard. The soil is not fit to hear the word and receive it. And Satan sees that. He sees that you're bored. He sees that you don't care. And so when the word is spoken, it's so easy for him because it doesn't take root. You don't try to act on it. So he immediately just removes it out of your head. It's nothing magic. But remember, we talked about this before. So much focus on spiritual warfare now is demons and angels and hauntings and, and exorcisms and possessions. You have got to understand spiritual warf warfare in our day, spiritual warfare... It's what happens in your head and your heart when you sit in this chair. That's where Satan is waiting and watching spiritually. Satan sees the hardness in the soil of your heart, that you're bored, that you don't care, that you don't get it. So he will come and make sure that you stay that way. He will come and make sure that that soil stays as barren as it can. Look at verses 16 and 17, soil number 2. 16 and 17. In a similar way... These are the ones on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places, who when they heard the word immediately received it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. These are people who have a great start and then they're gone. Notice, they were doomed from the start. It's the soil in their heart that starts this. And here's why I say that. From the start, their soil of their heart was only shallow. It is not the church's fault. We need more games. We need more involvement. We need more this. We need more that. There's nothing wrong with assessing the ministry. But we can't keep acting from this position of, oh, the church is broken. That's why they're not staying. The church is broken. That's why. No, 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 no. Not according to what, Je don't, I mean, it's not me. This is what Jesus is saying, Okay. Their hearts don't want to be, they don't want to grow deep. There's no desire. In Jesus' day, as an example, this would have been people responding favorably to the teachings or the miracles. So they follow him. 
But due to mounting pressure from the Pharisees or from friends and family, they fall away. The same thing happens today, except instead of miracles, listen, except instead of miracles, it's camp or collide or passion. They're, they're excited and expectant. They come home and they want to read all of Ezekiel and do it in Hebrew and it's going to be awesome. And then a day later, they're like, oh, pff, nope. And then they're gone and they leave. As soon, but, but it's also, notice he doesn't say it's just boredom. As soon as difficulties but not just these raging, horrible difficulties. Remember, the sun had just begun to come over the top of the hill. At the first sign of difficulty, why don't you want to go see the movie with us? Oh, oh, never mind. No, no, I'm, I was just kidding. I'm, I'm good. I, I want to go with you guys and, and see it. And you'll see this too. A lot of like, famous people in Hollywood, they'll, they'll say that they're Christians, and then they start getting called out for their Christian beliefs, whether it be same-sex marriage, abortion, whatever, and they immediately... Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't like, not like that, not like that. They start off, it's, it's this great idea. And then they fade away due to mounting pressure. This is no one's fault but their own. And if you fade, it might, maybe, maybe there aren't enough games. Or, or Ryan's just, he just can't take the hint and figure it out. Or I don't have anybody to this and that, or, or whatever. And there's ways for us to grow. But ultimately... Whether or not we dig deep, that's due to the Lord working in our lives and keeping us and holding us and us working with Him to dig in the soil and uproot these rocks. Verse 19, next one. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness and riches of the desire... Hold on, hold on. Sorry, 18, 18, 18. Here we go. Um, 18 and 19 together. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. That's good. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It is impossible to worship Jesus and something else. Jesus is saying that it is impossible for the Christian life to just be an add-on. In Jesus' day... Um, he tells the story, yeah, I've got time. He tells the story about the new wineskins. Here's what, here's what, and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, just kind of smile and be patient. He tells the story about the wineskins where if you put new wine into old wineskins, it bursts, right? Wineskins are built to expand and dry and expand and dry, and eventually it dries up and it just wears out. It can't expand anymore. So you pour the new wine in and it bursts everywhere. You have to have new wineskins to fit this new wine. Jesus is saying, I'm the new wine. You can't just make me an add-on to your old life. It's going to bust. It's never going to be able to hold. You see? You can't love me and the same things you always used to love. You can't love me and always do the same things that you used to do. One of them is going to give way. It's never going to hold. In Jesus' day, it was people consumed with the world around them, and it's the same thing in our day. Listen, our day is full of constant distraction, busyness, and strain. We have not taken the time and the effort, and I'm preaching to me too, we have not taken the time or the effort to work and clear out the thorns and the thistles and the weeds and cleanse the soil of our hearts so that we have the time and desire to read and love the Word of God. And not just time, it's not just about time, but habits. There are just certain, and I'm not going to legalistic, blah, 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 because everybody's different, but like, there are just certain things that when you listen to them or when you watch them or when you do them, it's going to numb you 
to church, and it's going to numb you to the teaching of the Bible, and eventually it's just going to drown it out more and more and more. The thorns and the thistles are choking out the potential to really take some root in some of this stuff. Verse 20, last one. Last one. And those are the ones whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. They hear, if you're a circler, right? A new type A, circle, hear the word and accept it. They do both the two sides of the coin of salvation. To show that you really do get it means that you apply what you understood. James chapter 1 says that religion does not change, religion that does not change your actions is no religion at all. It's a waste. It's non-existent. Go get a boat. Go out on Sundays instead because the church is clearly not. Matt Chandler says church is a terrible hobby. It's a terrible hobby. It's not going to help you with anything. But if you lean in, it's the best thing ever. Once we do this, we start bearing fruit. Once you start not just listening every week to me ramble for an hour and a half, but once you start applying what is being said... You start to bear fruit. It says 30, 60, 100 fold. You start to change. A seed and the fruit don't look the same. You will not just change in your actions. Not just your actions. You don't just stop doing the bad and start doing good. But within, you will start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We'll stop being so lustful. We'll start seeing people the way God sees them. We'll start seeing people who annoy us the way God sees them or people who are mean to us the way God sees them them. So three takeaways and then we're out. Three takeaways from this story and then we're out. Number one, be thankful when God comes in and messes up your life. And I know that some of y'all are going through some unbelievably awful stuff and I thought about those words as I chose them. I don't want you to think that I'm just, your suffering is good. Now high five and let's get out of here. I don't mean that you have to be happy when this happens. I don't mean that you have to go around high-fiving people when this happens, but listen, so often, before a field can be fruitful, the soil has to be pulled up and the plow's got to run through it. You follow me? The only way they're going to they're get the road soil ready for anything is they've got to rough it up and pull it up and make it soft and ready. They've got to pull the rocks out of the, that rocky soil, right, to get it ready. I thought the Bible was so boring. So boring. Oh my gosh. Until 2012 when my life was pulled out from under me. And then all of a sudden I had to hear the Word of God every day. It was my comfort. It was my everything. So to those of you who are really going through it right now, I challenge you. I encourage you. First of all, come tell one of us about it. But also run to the Word of God. Second takeaway. Church and prayer and the Bible are tools that God uses to till up the soil of our hearts. Church and the Bible and prayer and godly friends who will call you on it, right? Who will text who will, that will challenge you, people praying for you, you praying for yourself, you being in church on Wednesdays and Sundays. These are tools that God will use to soften up your heart. Repeated exposure to the sun changes your skin, and in the same way, repeated exposure to these things of God can melt your cold heart 
over time. And lastly, remember, the one who, who applied the word of God, the fruit grew 30, 60, 100 times over. If you will apply this teaching to your life, fruit will begin to grow in your life 30, 60, 100 fold. Because here's why I'm telling you this. We always think when we're tempted to follow God or give in to those things that we want, we think, I will lose so much if I follow Jesus. I will lose out on this pleasure. It feels so good. It's so good. I'm not going to give this up. I'm not going to give this up. I'm, look at what I'm going to lose if I follow Jesus. I want to get the last word in. When someone makes me feel bad, or when someone does something like that to me, I want to talk bad about them behind their back. I want to say it to their face. I want to get them back. Because if I don't, I'm going to look ridiculous. Look at what I lose if I follow Jesus. But according to what Jesus says in the Bible, 30, 60, 100 times over, you gain from these things. If you will lean in and be willing to lose this temporary, sinful, whatever that you want, you're not going to be left with nothing. If you step off the cliff to follow Him, He's not going to let you hit. He will catch you. 30, 60, 100 times over. If you will listen, like He says in verse 3, to, to truly listen is to have ears to hear, to apply what He's saying. 